it is Easter, which means it's Resurrection Sunday, and it's a very exciting time. This is like the Super Bowl of church, right? So we're all excited. I've been prepping for months. Let me start with this generalized question here. Do you believe in resurrection? Do you believe in resurrection? And when I say resurrection, you might immediately go to the Easter story. If you grew up in church, um, Jesus rising from the dead, and that is, again, the cornerstone of our faith for sure. But when Jesus talked about resurrection, he talked about a lot more than just life after death. He talked about life now. An invitation to experience real, deep, meaningful, powerful, happy life here and now. And so the definition of resurrection is, is pretty broad. Uh, and so let me put it to you in three ways. Do you believe in resurrection, hope of a better future? Hope for a better future. That's resurrection. Sometimes in life, things get tough. Sometimes globally, things look bleak, and, and we might lose our hope at times. But resurrection is an invitation to really believe that there's a better future coming. So we'll talk about that. We'll talk about what Jesus said in terms of thinking about and experiencing a better future ahead. Resurrection can also mean a second chance, a second chance. If you made a mistake, if you failed in some way that had pretty big consequences and you sort of messed up your life or you messed up your family, you hurt people that you love, or maybe there are habits and addictions that just kind of have you by the throat and you don't know quite how to get over that. Is there a resurrection ahead? Is there a second chance or a third chance if you need it? Today, we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about the vision that Jesus gave us, that there is a second chance and a third chance ahead. And then you believe in resurrection life after death. Most of us have lost somebody that we dearly love, and if you haven't, you will. It's just the nature of being alive as it comes to an end. Maybe some of you are facing your own mortality. Maybe you're suffering with a, an illness, or perhaps, as people say, you're on the back nine of life, right? And you're just becoming more aware of your own mortality. What's beyond the grave? That's resurrection. Do you believe in resurrection? Hope of a better future, a second chance, and life beyond the grave. And today we're going to talk about the teaching of Jesus, the life of Jesus, the priority of Jesus, the invitation of Jesus for all of us to really experience resurrection right here and right now and eternity in the presence of a loving God. So let's talk about resurrection, hope for a better future, hope for a better future. Now, um, the Bible, just to be really honest with you, is written during times of great national depression. I mean, that's just the reality. I know it doesn't sound like a lot of fun. But if you read the Old Testament in particular, most of the Old Te Testament is written from the perspective of a nation that has been beaten down for 700 years. 700 years, wave after wave of, of violent, uh, oppressive invasion from global superpowers, no less than a half a dozen global superpowers invading Israel time and time and time again in brutal ways, in violent ways, oppressing them, horrific injustice, uh, murdering them. I mean, this is 700 years of constant, brutal, violent oppression. That's the Old Testament, <laughs> I mean, basically in a nutshell. It's tough. And so in the Old Testament, you will see sort of what it means to, to, to lose your hope of better days ahead. Ezekiel 37 sort of sums it up. These bones represent the people of Israel. They are saying, we have become old, dry bones. All hope is gone. Our nation is finished. Kind of depressing. This nation of Israel had lost their hope. And so Jesus comes along and he's, he's looking at his own people, the, the Jewish people, and he's seeing that 95% at least are peasants and they're disrespected. They're essentially slaves of the Roman Empire. There was no hope of a better future. And, and how could this tiny, impoverished, conquered people possibly rise to the level where they could have hope 
of better days ahead. They had lost their hope. They'd lost their sense of resurrection. And so here comes Jesus. And Jesus says, hey, listen, I'm bringing a whole kingdom. I'm bringing a kingdom he called the kingdom of heaven. And as soon as the people of Israel heard the word kingdom, they're thinking, okay, you're going to fix everything. Uh, you're going to, what, drive the Romans out. We're going to have political freedom. We're going to thrive again. We're going to be prosperous as a nation. And Jesus says, well, probably not. In fact, he said later in his teaching that in this world, you will have trouble. It's a promise of Jesus. In this world, you will have trouble. Yet at the same time, he's teaching about how to be happy. And he's saying happiness doesn't happen when your circumstances change. Happiness happens when you decide to walk a journey of happiness internally. And so in his very first sermon, he leads off with his invitation to be happy. It's the Sermon on the Mount, very famous sermon. Here's a little piece of it. Happy are those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Happy are those who want a pure heart, for they will see God. Happy are those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. He's talking about happiness, no less than 10 times in the Sermon on the Mount. It's an invitation to be happy, the invitation to experience resurrection, better days ahead. And not once did he say, it's all going to work out. Not once did he say your circumstances are going to change. Now listen, some of us go through tough times in life, and that's just reality. We go through tough times in our personal life, maybe our emotional life, our mental life. We go through tough times in family life, uh, health diagnoses, job problems. I, I mean, that's just part of life. Sometimes we have national struggles and, and, and local political turmoil, and it's a lot sometimes. But Jesus says you could still be happy if you decide to be happy on the inside. If you decide to be a merciful person, even when things around you are not going so well, if you decide to be a merciful person and look out for your neighbor, you're going to walk a journey of happiness. If you decide to have a pure heart and so you're not all out for yourself, bring out to say, you know what, I want to honor God with my life and I want to honor others with my life. If you seek a pure heart, you can be happy, no matter what's going on around you. If you seek peace as people are tearing each other apart, as people are dividing over all kinds of things, if we are peacemakers, you could be happy at heart. It's all about the heart. Now listen, that doesn't happen in a second. For those of you who might admit, you know what, I'm not a very happy person. And I'd like you to think about that. You know, right here, right now, Easter Sunday, 2023, are you a happy person as you sit here today, as you watch online, are you a happy person? For those of you who, who might have to admit, I'm not very happy, that's not something that could just turn on a dime. It, it's gonna be a long journey and we need help in that journey. We might need significant help. We might need therapy. We might need medical attention. But really what it boils down to is the invitation that Jesus gave us to decide to be happy. Don't wait for circumstances to change. And we can hope for circumstances to change. We can pray for circumstances to change. If our life is not going well, pray that it goes better. But it may or may not. What you can control, however, is what you think. And, and in some respects, you can control what you feel by focusing on an internal happiness that takes time and it takes a community. And this is something that we really strive for as a community, as a church, to say, hey, we're gonna gather and we're gonna be positive. And we are, are gonna strive for, for happiness. And we are gonna strive to build each other up and encourage each other to look at the best of life and look at the best in what God has for us and walk a journey toward intentional happiness on the inside, on the inside. And so if you're not a very happy person, and you have to admit that today, you can begin a resurrection journey today that better days are ahead, not because things change around you, but because you decide to change.
You decide to, to walk a journey that says, I'm gonna focus on the love of God. I'm gonna focus on being content with what I have. I'm gonna focus on being grateful. I'm gonna focus on loving the family around me and loving friends around me. And I'm gonna focus on being a good person that does good things for good reasons. You walk that journey, you're gonna walk a resurrection journey toward better days ahead. How about resurrection as a second chance? Resurrection as a second chance. During the time of Jesus, there was almost no such thing as a second chance because he was born and raised in a hyper-religious community. And the more religious you are, the less chances you get because what religion does is religion says, you know what, here's the commandments, here's the rules. God is out there and his priority is to make sure that you're a good person. God's priority is to make sure you follow the rules. And that rules-based culture is what Jesus was born into. And so what happens is when you're raised on religious rules in particular, and you're raised under the threat of punishment, that does something to your soul. It corrodes your soul. And so people who are born and raised in religious environments tend to be very uptight. They tend to be more negative. They tend to be super judgy, right? Because they've been judged their whole life, so they're going to start judging others. And that's exactly how Jesus was raised. And so as a, as a result, everybody was fully aware of their failures. All they saw was their failures. And then they understood that, well, if God wants me obedient and I'm disobedient, that means God is going to get me. God is going to be disappointed with me. God's going to be angry with me and God is going to punish me. That's their whole worldview. God is going to punish me. We see this in Isaiah chapter three. It says, the wicked are doomed for they will get exactly what they deserve. The Lord takes his place in court and presents his case against his people. The Lord comes forward to pronounce judgment. That's what the Jews thought of God, that they were under God's judgment, that God was constantly looking at our failures and constantly judging our failures and punishing, for our, punishing us for our failures. Now, that was written 2,600 years ago. And 2,000 years ago, Jesus was born into this culture. God is a God of judgment. God is a God of punishment. 2,000 years after the coming of Jesus, 84% of Americans still believe that God will punish us for our failures. That's from statistica.com. 84% of Americans still believe in this religious superstition that the cosmos or God is gonna punish us for our failures. And that defines the relationship. And that's why so many people are leaving religion because you just can't keep living under that kind of pressure and under that kind of judgment and under that kind of condemnation. So Jesus came to fix it. Jesus came to heal what's broken here. He came to say, God is not about punishing failures. Here's one of many examples. Here's a woman caught in adultery, caught in the act of cheating on her husband. Uh, for some reason, the man goes off free and these male religious leaders bring the woman before Jesus. Not a coincidence. So here's this woman caught in the act of adultery. She broke one of the big 10 commandments. If you know the 10 commandments, thou shalt not commit adultery. She committed adultery, caught in the act, thrown before Jesus, and, and these religious leaders were trying to trap Jesus because Jesus was a religious man who would have respected the Ten Commandments. Part of the commandments is that she would be put to death. No kidding. According to the Jewish commandments, you commit adultery, you are dragged outside of the city, thrown into a pit, and rocks would be thrown at you until you were dead. Cute, right? Here's this woman before Jesus who's also known for loving people who were condemned as sinners. And here are all these religious leaders with rocks in their hands, ready to go. Jesus said to the crowd, 
very famously, let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. One of the most famous things Jesus ever said, he who is without sin cast the first stone. And here are all these pious, religious, judgy leaders. They knew that none of them were perfect. And Jesus says, you don't throw stones literally or figuratively unless you are perfect. If you have never sinned, fire away and everybody drops their rocks and leaves. Jesus always had a way of silencing the crowd and humbling everyone. And so here's Jesus with the woman and she's no doubt in tears. She just about lost her life and she's at the mercy of Jesus. And what does Jesus say to her? Jesus said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? Not even one? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus says, neither do I. Jesus says this woman, to this woman, I don't condemn you. We know that Jesus is the full expression of the heart of God. And so if Jesus says to this woman, who committed a capital moral crime according to their religious law, if Jesus says he doesn't condemn her, then that means God doesn't condemn her. And if God doesn't condemn this woman, then God doesn't condemn us. And Jesus says to the religious world now, what he said 2,000 years ago, do not judge anyone unless you're perfect. He who is without sin cast the first stone. And yet still religious people are judging. Still religious people are casting stones. They're verbal stones. They're judgy stones. They're condemning stones. But they're still casting stones. And Jesus is still, 2,000 years later, through the word of God saying, would you stop it? Would you stop acting as though God is punishing failure. He does not punish our failure. He does not. God is a God of forgiveness, not punishment. First John chapter four says, punishment brings fear and perfect love casts out all fear. God does not punish our failures. So for any of us here today, live here or online, if you think that God is punishing you for your failures, you need to walk the experience of this woman caught in adultery who felt the guilt of her failures. But then Jesus lifts her up and says, I don't see your failures. God doesn't see your failures. I don't condemn you. God doesn't condemn you. This is where people get a little nervous. It's like, well, how deep does God's forgiveness go? There's a little debate among Jesus' disciples. One of the disciples steps up and very proud of himself and says, well, Jesus, I'll forgive somebody seven times. Everybody gasps. In a, in a religious culture, you don't forgive like that, right? It's, it's one and done. Like, you sin, you fail, here's the judgment, right? That's just the way it goes. It's the way it's always gone. And so this disciple steps up and trying to impress Jesus. I'll forgive somebody seven times. Oh, wow, that's fantastic. Golf clap. Jesus says, how about not just seven times? How about 70 times seven? Jesus says, you still don't get it. Now, 70 times seven is not a magic number of 490. God's not out there, oh, buddy, be careful. You're at 471. You're getting close. 491, <laughs> judgment. 70 times seven, there's numerology in there. It's just, it just means forever. There is no limit to God's forgiveness, none. No limit. And in fact, I think what Jesus is saying, and I can back this up heartily in the scripture, in the word of God. I don't think God does a lot of forgiveness transactions. And in other words, I don't think we fail and God forgives and we fail and God forgives and we fail and God forgives. I don't think we're on that little rat race. God just says, you're forgiven. You're just forgiven. 
yeah, but what about if I fail, then, you know, then I'm separated from God and then I got to confess and repent and get my act all together and I don't know, do churchy things. And God says, no, you're just forgiven. Have everything in the past? Yeah, all gone. How about the future? All gone. All gone. God does not see our failures. He doesn't see the failures of the past. He doesn't see the failures of the present. He doesn't see the failures of the future. It's just gone. And that's what a loving heavenly father does, right? I mean, wouldn't a perfect father just look at their daughter or look at their son? And that's my perfect child. And yes, they make mistakes. I mean, God's not ignorant. We make mistakes. None of us are perfect, right? And God will work with us in our mistakes. But in all that, God wants us to live a good life. He wants us to live a, a life that doesn't harm ourselves and doesn't harm others. For sure, he loves us. But he doesn't want us to be motivated by threats and condemnation and judgment. Now, listen, some of you might have been raised in a household of condemnation and judgment. If you were raised in a household where you couldn't do anything right, maybe your dad or par parents never really said, hey, I'm proud of you, or they just were always about you doing better and always pointing out the failures and always executing punishment. If that's the household you were raised in, pretty well guarantee there's rebellion in there someplace. Judgment and condemnation equals rebellion, either in the heart or, or on, on, in behavior. Households of judgment and condemnation result in rebellion. Households of love and forgiveness result in love and forgiveness. That's just the way it is. If you are fortunate to be raised in a household of love and forgiveness, then you're likely a person of love and forgiveness. This is where religious people really hyperventilate. They're breathing into bags. <laughs> Don't, don't, what are you talking about? That God just forgives us of everything unconditionally. Well, look at, the, look at the woman caught in adultery. He said, I don't condemn you. She didn't have time to repent of her sin, confess of her sin, go to all kinds of churchy things and get her act together. Jesus says, you're forgiven. Now get up. Religious people can't take that. There's gotta be judgment. There's gotta be punishment. There's gotta be condemnation. It's almost like a drug. Jesus says, sins are forgiven. What if we just believe that? And then what happened when the woman got up, Jesus kind of whispers in, in her ear, you know, how about we make some better choices? <laughs> this wasn't good for anybody, was it? <laughs> all out of love, all out of forgiveness. He didn't come down hard on her and judge her and condemn her and threaten her and so she's scared and doesn't want to make a mistake again because she's scared. He, he showed love and forgiveness and says, Let's get a second chance here and a third chance and a 490th if you need it. Then there's resurrection, the hope of eternal life, the hope of eternal life. We've talked about resurrection, hope of a better future ahead because we choose happiness in the inside. We've talked about resurrection, hope of a second chance or a third if you need it. Now let's end with this beautiful story, the hope of eternal life. During the time of Jesus, there were huge debates about the resurrection, huge debates. The Sadducees, the school of the Sadducees, looked at the Old Testament, which is all they had at the time, and they said, we don't see anything about life after death in the Old Testament, so we don't believe it. There's another religious school, the Pharisees, that saw hints of life after death in the Old Testament, just little tiny hints, and said, hey, we believe in life after death. Jesus comes along, and the only time in his life, he sided with the Pharisees and says, you know what, there is life after death. In John chapter 14, which is very famously read in a lot of memorial services, Jesus makes it clear there is life after death. In my Father's house are many rooms. I go to prepare a place for you and I will come again and receive you to myself 
that where I am, there you may be also. Jesus is telling his disciples, I'm going to die. They didn't believe him, but he said it clearly. I'm gonna die, I'm gonna be crucified. This world hates me. The religious powers hate me. They can't take all of this love and grace and mercy and forgiveness, right? The political powers hate me. I'm creating just movements of people experiencing great joy and happiness, and they can't take that, right? So they're gonna put me to death. And he says, I'm going to die, and when I do, I'm gonna prepare a place, and then you're gonna join me. You're gonna join me. There is life after death. Then Jesus is condemned by the religious leaders, he is condemned by the Roman political leaders, and he is sentenced to death by crucifixion. And as he himself is dying, he looks to the thief on the cross next to him and he says, hey, today you're gonna be with me in paradise. He had the wherewithal and the love and the selflessness to be able to comfort somebody else who was dying right next to him and say, today there is eternal life for you. As he was struggling for his last breath, Jesus gave him the assurance that he's going to be in paradise forever. There is life after death. And then Jesus dies. Jesus gives up his life. And there's a great depression among his disciples. This is the one they gave three years of their life to. This is our king. This is our savior. This is the hope of the world. This is the light of the world, and he's dead. He's gone. They had no assurance of life after death on Friday and on Saturday and then on Sunday. Two of the disciples, two women who were going to prepare the body of Jesus properly, they go to the, the site of his burial. And someone stopped him and said, don't be afraid. Whenever you read that in the Bible, it means be very afraid. <laughs> Just a little interpretive work there. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth, aren't you? The one who was crucified? Well, he isn't here. He rose from the dead. See, this is where they laid his body. He rose from the dead. They were very afraid. Their heart rate went through the roof. They ran to the disciples. The disciples ran back to the tomb. Who stole the body of Jesus? And then later that day, Jesus appears. The resurrected Jesus appears, proving there is life beyond the grave, settling the debate there is resurrection from the dead. Now, this is where some of you who might be prone to skepticism or cynicism, and I am among your ranks. I am a skeptic and a cynic at heart. We might look at the resurrection story of Jesus and we might kind of roll our eyes and say, well, that sounds pretty fanciful. And uh, should I really believe this or not? I wanna believe it. I wanna believe there's life after death. I wanna believe that when I lay my, my loved one into the ground, I'm actually giving them to the arms of a loving heavenly father who will receive them in paradise. I'd like to believe that, but it sounds pretty fanciful. Here's something that helped me out. Maybe it's a nugget that helps you out. Maybe it doesn't, I don't know. The reality that I kind of land on sometimes is that I don't know how I got here to this life. The entire wisdom of the scientific community does not know how we got here to this life. Now, there's a lot of brilliant people and a lot of amazing equipment. You know, James Webb Telescope, favorite human invention I could think of. Hubble, all of this, this cosmology and, and physics has woven together this incredible story of the cosmos that began roughly 13.8 billion years ago at a point of singularity where the entire cosmos was about the size of me, maybe six foot round, before the big expansion, what is called the Big Bang. And we can figure a lot of stuff out. We as though I know what I'm talking about. Figured a lot of stuff out about how we got from that point of singularity to where we are right now. A lot is figured out. 
But there's a lot that isn't figured out. Science has no idea what happened before that big inflation. No idea. Can't even possibly under any circumstance figure that out. What the scientific community and the philosophical community does know is that time had a beginning point and space had a beginning point. Nobody knows how time or space had the beginning point, but we know there was a beginning point. Can't figure it out. And through all kinds of, you know, wonderful uh, physics and biology, we are here right now, but science can't figure out how this brain, this incredible brain that is vastly more powerful than the most powerful supercomputer, how this brain became a sentient conscious thing. You're an absolute miracle just being here. And science can't figure out how you got here. Science can't figure out all of how you developed. Science can't figure out how we got here, but we got here once. Who's to say we can't get here again? Who's to say there isn't life after death that God just figures out? If God figured out this life, he can certainly figure out the next, right? And isn't it just better to believe that if we got here this time, we can get here next time? Isn't that just cool to believe that? And isn't it just cool to believe that maybe Jesus was the first one to go through the whole process there of death to resurrection and being in paradise with God and just welcoming us all to himself? Isn't that just a cool thing to believe? And we're not just believing it out of thin air. We're saying there was an historical Jesus. Everybody knows that. Whether you believe or not, everybody knows it. We know that that historical Jesus was actually crucified. Whether you believe or not, we know that. And we know the world was turned upside down at the story of Jesus rising again from the dead. There's enough here to say, you know what? I'm gonna believe in resurrection. I'm gonna believe in resurrection, all of it. I'm gonna believe that there are better days ahead because I'm gonna to choose to follow Jesus and choose to be a happy person on the inside. And I might need some help along the way, but that's gonna be my choice. I'm gonna live a resurrected life. I'm gonna to choose to believe the teaching of Jesus that even if I've made mistakes time and time again, and even if I've got habits and addictions and caused pain in my family and my friends, I believe there's a second chance, the resurrection of a second chance or a third or 490th. And I believe there's resurrection beyond the grave. And this Easter 2023 is gonna be that time I settle that in my heart. And it's all by God's grace, isn't it? None of this resurrection in this life or the life to come, none of it happens because we're a good enough person. None of it happens because we adhere to the right religion. None of this happens because our faith is unshakably rock solid. None of this happens because my religious devotion is steady. And none of this happens because we believe the right list of things. All of this happens. Resurrection happens because of God's grace freely given to us all through Jesus. And if we just believe that with a smile on our face, this is gonna be a good life. It's gonna be a good life. Hey, Evan, what you up to? Where are you at? All right, there you are. I was just relaxing. All That's right, you ready to do a song? We're gonna close in a song. Yes. This is a crowd favorite. We do move around in the song, so it's a lot of fun. We do move a lot, yes. Uh, <laughs> you especially. I do. I can't stay still. I, I know, mean, it's awesome. About, That's awesome. You know? Me neither. Just don't get a camera on me. Okay, yeah, yeah, right. yeah. <laughs> uh, this song talks about um, not being able to hide from God's grace. Yeah. And I love that because God's grace is just so generous. It's like, you can't even try to hide from it and you're gonna get right. it. And, and this song just says, hey, if I can let go and I could just enjoy being loved by God, then I'm going to really live. That's right. And in the course of that song, uh, I love that. When I let go, then I found love. Yeah. 
and I found life. And this is this whole idea of saying, when I let go, I didn't earn this. When I let go, I earned that. No, it's when I let go, I found this. When I stop, uh, you know, this relentless pursuit of me running in the other direction, when I stopped that pursuit and I just turned around and I just said, oh, this is the grace of God. I found this life. And in that life, there is this resurrection that we're talking about, a new way of thinking, a new way of believing. And it's a grace and love that's always been there. It's just always been there. And, and if we just get un, un, you know, kind of busy our heads and just pause for a second and say, God, thank you for your grace and thank you for your love. Help me live that life. Yeah. Now, we're going to move around. We are. And, and so and the song is yeah. like, the song is, it, it lends itself to us partying. So first thing we're going to do is everybody, everybody stand, stand up. And okay. if you're not smiling yet, put a smile on that face, especially over there. You're pretty grumpy. <laughs> and so this is what we're going to do. To start the song off, there's a countdown. And th- through that countdown, we're going to raise anticipation by simply doing this. Put your hands together like this. Ready? Building it, anticipation, about to be a lot of fun. Bring in the clock. There it is. Come on. Here we go, Glenn.
That was absolutely awesome. I say, uh, I say we do this again next Sunday. I say we do. And I, one of the things I was watching as this song was going on, everybody's having so much fun and there's yeah. so many smiles. Thinking, so it's all about. That, if you want that, come back every week and we're going to do 100%. that. 100%. So we're going to start a, a new series next week called yeah. Jesus Said What? Jesus Said What? Uh, yeah. So Jesus said a whole bunch of things that got him in a whole bunch of trouble. And the things that got him in trouble, though, make life just absolutely incredible. So we're going to talk about that starting next week. We look forward to seeing you back there, hopefully, and what's going on outside. So there's tons of stuff going on outside. Uh, please stick around if you can. And hey, I just want to real quickly thank you to all of our volunteers who pulled this service off today. Yeah, so thank many you very of much. you. Our Hundreds production team in the back making all this happen. Our worship thank team. You yeah. This was an incredible Sunday. Thank you for joining us. We can't wait to do it again next Sunday. Yeah, let's do it. And uh, right. happy Easter. God bless you as happy you go. Easter. And uh, you are free to enjoy Central Park and some donut holes. <laughs> <laughs>